welcome to Straight Talk Live. My name is Rick Snyder, one of the co-hosts of this show. And Straight Talk Live is a nonprofit that really focuses on the intersection of human, digital, and social transformation. And uh, once again, we really started from uh, not being satisfied by the conversations happening when COVID hit and realizing there's many more important dialogues we need to be having as a culture and bringing different polarities together. Um, and so I'm joined by my co-host and fellow extraordinaire, Af Maholtra. <laughs> Af, take it away. Thank you. There are all these compliments coming my way. <laughs> what do you want? Um, welcome, welcome everyone. Uh, yet, yet another fantastic show today on uh, the, the importance of something that bothers both Rick and I immensely. Um, and from the last episode when we talked about the Maverick Leaders Program, I think this is just a fantastic follow-on around the importance of people development. And we're starting to see um, large organizations reconnect with the importance of developing talent and developing um, not just their leaders who are at the upper echelons of the business, but everyone throughout the organization. And we have a, a wonderful guest today. I'm not going to steal the intro thunder from, from Rick, but I'm really excited about today. And I think we're gonna have a real um, straight talk and ask some difficult questions. Um, related to some of the, the solutions that might be out there as well. So uh, thank you for making it happen today, um, Rick, and over to you. Let's crack on. Okay. So I have the pleasure of introducing an old friend of mine I've known for about 20 years or so, uh, Jonathan Raymond, who's the CEO of ReFound, um, and someone that I also work very closely with at ReFound. Um, and so Jonathan, our first one, welcome to Straight Talk Live. Thanks. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Happy to be here. And um, let's just start with just a little bit of your background for anyone in our audience who might not be familiar with you and ReFound as well. Just to sure. say a little bit about who you are, how you got here, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my name's Jonathan. Uh, I'm the CEO of a leadership development company called ReFound, and I wrote a book about five years ago called Good Authority. Uh, and that book was really the culmination of a life of struggle uh, as a leader, both as a business leader myself, but also my own challenges with trying to find answers in the domain of personal growth and development. And uh, that book was really the start of the current phase of my life of trying to figure out how do I bring the two halves of me together. I was an entrepreneur, I'm passionate about business and the ability to have a, a powerful impact through business, through for-profit business. Uh, and at the same time, deeply passionate about my own personal growth and spiritual growth and that of others. And I, and I felt split. Uh, between those two. Good ideas, good methodologies, good teachers, but it all it always felt like it was two worlds and I wanted it to be one world. Uh, so that's why I wrote Good Authority. That's why I created the book and that's uh, everything about the work that we that we do today. Let's kick off there, Jonathan. So I know um, you've talked about this and have been tracking the trends for a while in the business space and how things have been changing recently, especially. And so as we know, you know, people don't stick, stick into jobs for 20 years or more anymore. That, that trend has changed pretty rapidly. And this whole idea of investing in perks uh, to a new idea of how do you actually invest in your people? How do you actually go even more direct? Can you just start to talk a little bit about that and the trends that you've been seeing in the last five or 10 years? And what do you think is actually going to stick versus just be a trend? Yeah, sure. One of the things that surprised me really, you know, I, I, I didn't come from big corporate. I came from more sort of small business and entrepreneurial settings. And, um, and I was really kind of out there doing weird stuff, uh, some of which probably is safe for work, others probably not. Uh, and I was really surprised early on. I, I was leading a workshop. This was a Fortune 10 company. And we had, we had the benefit of, you know, we, somebody had started reading our newsletter and said, hey, will you come and do training for some of our people? And I was like, wow, this is interesting. I didn't think they would be interested in something like this. And uh, one of the guys who had been there for, he had been there for about 20 years. And this was a massive company, you know, 100,000 employees, 12,000 managers, whatever it was. And uh, he stood up about halfway through this workshop. And it was all about, you know, personal growth in the workplace. And I was talking about some of these trends and introducing some tools. And he stood up and he was a kind of a grizzly old veteran. And he said, look, uh, we have to do this. We don't, you know why? Because all the things that we used to do for people to create loyalty, to keep people around, to give this vibe of like, this is, this is home for you. We don't do any of that stuff anymore. And that's okay. I get it. It's all about productivity and efficiency. I get it. But this is the answer. Developing people and really giving them an experience of themselves. And this is, this is his words, not mine. 
that's what we need to be focusing on. So I'm really glad we're doing this. And he was not the guy in the room that I would have expected to say that. Uh, so to me, that was like, okay, we're really onto something. This mm-hmm. is this is a powerful, powerful trend. If a guy like that is saying, hey, we need to be doing this. And I can share some other stories that kind of like unlocked any fear that I had in my mind of like, this, we're going and we're going fast. Uh, it, you know, this has been, people have been talking about this stuff since the seventies. It's not a new topic, Yeah. but the, but the, the confluence of social trends, cultural trends, business trends has just made it. It's just, this is the moment and we're just starting. Yeah. You know, one last follow up on that is that even 10 years ago, we were still talking about bean bags and catering lunches in Airbnb and Google's even 10 years ago, not that long ago. Mm. Yeah. So we're still looking at the new version of perks. Yeah. Where, where, where do you think that has changed even more recently where that's just not as interesting? It's not working the same way with millennials mm. and people in the new generations of work. And they're looking for something deeper and more meaningful. Um, what are you seeing there? Yeah, I mean, first, let, let's just get, I mean, I love ping pong and bean bags. Uh, these are good things, right? Free lunch. <laughs> Who doesn't love free lunch? <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think what a lot of people will tell you is you end up chasing it's like it's like thinking you're going to solve your people issues with increasing comp. It doesn't work, right? <laughs> of course, everybody wants more money, right? Everybody wants a bigger title, or most everybody. Uh, those those perks and benefits are nice. I'm not saying don't do them. And you know, well, COVID, you can't doesn't help you because you know got a lot of empty office parks right now. Uh, but what happened, in in my opinion, is that the the consciousness of our species matured. Not everyone and not everywhere, obviously, if you look out in our world. But something, a doorway was open, and it was you could argue it was open some time ago. But what people are looking for now, they look out in the world, especially young people, they look out and they see climate and they see politics and the amount of information they have about, you know, what is what's healthy in terms of self-care and self-management and food and environmental choices. And you know, it's all available. And so when they go to work and work is like if they go to work and work is like, oh, like this doesn't jive with everything else about my world that I care about. I'm out of here. And I might not quit today, but I'm going to disengage. And then the other piece of that was we now have the data. And that's what we didn't have mm-hmm. 10, 15 years ago. There's all this data that people can get, all these pulse surveys, all this stuff, and they can see how unhappy people are, how disengaged they are, and the things that they're asking for. I want to be developed. My manager doesn't care about me. The leaders say one thing and they do another. And now what HR has now, but didn't have before, is they can walk into the C-suite if they're not already in the C-suite and say, you want this business outcome? Look at this data. Those two things don't go together. And and CEOs are not dummies. Like they're like, oh, okay. I kind of knew that was true, but now I now the data's there. What do you want to do about it? How do you and now we're seeing, and it's again, it's not that people weren't investing in these things, but the, you know, the game is afoot in terms of you know all of these things coming together and what people are wanting from their lives from their bosses from their organizations from themselves and in their own relationships mm. jonathan what um what what are you seeing has happened in the last seven or eight months or nine months since the COVID situation um are you seeing any because you run a company as well and you're advising yeah. a lot of and coaching a lot of c-level executives what is it really i mean you cut all the noise out what's really going on I think what uh, COVID did is just ripped the Band-Aid off uh, culture and like what's actually going on inside of organizations. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen with our business. You know, January, February, I, you know, I took a flight back from San Francisco back here to San Diego. And I thought, ooh, this could be a rough year for <clears throat> Refound. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've essentially tripled our business because everybody said, hey, wait a second. Like, we thought this problem was bad in 2019. It's really bad. Like we don't know how to talk to each other. We don't know how to build trust with one another. We don't know how to have meaningful human relationships. And now our interface is Zoom right. or Teams right. or you know whatever the whatever the tool is. And so uh, what I've seen here's here's the you know cutting through the noise when you if, when you're a CEO myself included, what you're focused on even though you think hey culture is important people are important what you're focused on is the result right. And what you're focused on are the numbers and, and you've got investors or, or, or your boards of directors or competition breathing down your neck and you, that's what you lose sleep over, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're looking around at your leaders, the thing that happens to you as a CEO is you say, it's wrong, but it's a reasonable thing to say like, 
why don't people care as much as I do? Why don't they look around? Why aren't they looking around the corner the way I'm looking around the corner? Why aren't they taking, why aren't they fixing these big, hairy, scary things? Mm -hmm. And what's happened in the last seven or eight months is I've seen a lot of separation between leaders who are capable of doing that, capable of leading at that next level, because it got way harder than it was a year ago, and leaders who are going to be left behind because they're still over-relying on being very directive, uh, being very, very tactical, not thinking about relationships and people and sustainability in their organizations. And I'm seeing a, an unbelievable appetite. You know, not everybody becomes a client, but, you know, we're seeing appetite from places I never would have expected coming to us and saying, hey, with that stuff that you're talking about, like, how do we do that? Like, what does that even look like? Where do we start? That's not a culture. We, we feel pretty good about some of our efforts, but we've, we, we're way behind. Mm. And um, the, the, if I can just give one sort of spoiler for anyone who's feeling like, well, our organization is way behind, welcome to the club. Everybody, everybody that I talk to, even mm. companies that you would think, oh, they must have this figured out by now. When we talk to them, they say like, hey, we don't, we don't really know how to do this. We don't really know how to solve for this. Can you help? Mm-hmm. I think what's what's fascinating with what you're saying is that um, uh, and the word empowerment comes to mind because if if a leader of yesterday pre-pandemic is going to do things differently tomorrow today and tomorrow in the future that the culture has to be one of empowerment which basically in simple English what that means is um, Jonathan you can do these things you couldn't nine months ago but we've woken up and smelt the coffee. I think yeah. we need to change. Guess what? Here are three other things you can do now. And you're like, what, really? Like I can do social impact? Totally. And you have the money to do it and you should promote that cause. And it's a big part of our cultural makeup. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you see though, because one is dependent on the other, like the middle manager saying, yeah, I want to change, but looking up at the core leadership and saying, well, you haven't really done anything differently. You're just yes. running workshops on Zoom telling me that we should be different. I don't see yeah. anything material to be yeah. different. Yeah, and that's the plague of, of my industry over the last you know, 30, 40 years is that it's a you know, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the leadership and co- the reason why I started Refund, I used to run an executive coaching company. And that's, that was the problem that I saw. It's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. well, we've got leaders using different words, but they're not enacting different behaviors. So that's, that's problematic. And, and we have not solved this. Nobody has solved this, that implement that behavior change down to the level of what do leaders do differently. But, mm-hmm. but here's the, here's where the industry is changing and where people are changing is when we, when I started this and we started running workshops and seminars pre pandemic, we would show up in rooms and we, we made the mistake of thinking that we could do something like manager training, that we could bring these ideas and train the managers. And that was going to have an impact. And that was ridiculous. Yeah. Because the first question they ask is, well, what about them? Are they yeah. doing this? Because they're the ones that are setting these cultural norms. These are, they're the ones, I'm waiting for them. I, I, mm-hmm. I like this material, it's cool. I'll, I'll go after them, thank you very much, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, there is an awareness. I mean, I, I'll, I'll share one conversation that I had, which was shocking to me. And you know, we, we don't go out into the market looking to take oil and gas clients. It's not our big you know, kind of thing. We're more focused on like, you know, clean tech and EV tech, you know, like we have a variety of clients, but you know, we're on that score, we're looking for clean tech versus fossil fuel um, uh, in terms of our clients and kind of the vibe of our, our brand. That being said, I, I happened to be part of a conversation with a group of oil executives from one of the, the big ones. And they were, they were sitting around talking and they said, you know, and this was like even pre COVID, they were like, we need to change. We're looking at these, we need to change ourselves. Right. We need to become different people, different versions of ourselves. So it's like if that's happening in big oil, yeah. right? I mean, like what other what other sign do we need, right? It's like yeah. leaders have to change. And and I think, if I may, one of the things that has been a motivator in a good way is that CEOs, executives, and leaders, they're also largely working from home. They're also dealing with a lot of the stresses mm-hmm. of they have kids, they have they have kids who can't go to school in a lot of places. Yeah family, like they've been forced to deal with a lot of the stresses that everyone else. And so it's really humanized. I think a lot of, wow, wait a second. Like I, I do nothing but work. I don't know. I don't have a life anymore. I'm like, how do I set boundaries? How do I take care of myself? How do I do basic things like exercise and eat, um, eat eat good food. Right. And so I think it's really been a, it's humanized us. Uh, what we do with it, 
jury's out. But I think it's really humanized us in a, in a powerful way. And so if people development are really at the core of what you do, um, I can only imagine that as we go, as we've gone more remote, how you even have to double click on that even more. Yeah. And that is something that I think every business is struggling with is how do I feel more connected to my team? How can I be assured they're, they're doing their work when I can't see them in the hallways and check on them as often? Um, so can you give some best practices to our audience, uh, people who are listening here today around, what are some of the things you're finding you need to really double down on and pay attention to in, in terms of remote management and remote leadership with, with uh, people on your teams? Yeah. So, so a couple of things, I mean, this is, we'll start really tactical and then we'll kind of zoom out. One of the things that, that we see with leaders is that they don't have any white space on their calendar. So it's really easy, like zoom meeting after zoom meeting after zoom meeting. Yeah. And it's exhausting, right? The neurobiology, like we know this, but a lot of leaders are still, they're still doing it and they're not pushing back, not just on their bosses, but also their colleagues and their reports saying, hey, do we, does that meeting really need to be an hour? Can we do that in a half an hour? Do we really need to do that every week? Could we do that every other week? Do I really need to be in that? So there's like a lot of the mental health just comes from the self-management of being able to have the conversations with your colleagues to say, hey, look, we all have a lot of Zoom meetings. We all have a lot of Teams meetings, whatever it is. Uh, how can we have less? How can we have fewer? Mm -hmm. uh, how can we be more clear about what it is we're trying to accomplish when we get together? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the first thing is like a, a calendar is almost like the Marie Kondoification of your business calendar. You've got to reduce the clutter mm -hmm. because the cognitive capacity is less. So that's the first thing. And there's, and that's really difficult to do, right? If it was easy, everybody would have, you know, 30, 40% white space on their calendar. It's really, it's a cultural conversation. You think it's just looking at your calendar. But it's actually cultural about it. like what how why do we have meetings what are they for what are we trying to accomplish so that's one piece another piece of it is asking questions right instead of making assumptions and this is this was true pre-pandemic it was true in 1963 it'll be true in 2023 the, the biggest opportunity for managers and leaders is to get out of your head doesn't matter what you think it doesn't matter what you assume to be true <clears throat> over there and this other person who's on the other side of the screen, ask them. And there is almost no situation that you will face where you can't reframe a theory, an assumption, a judgment in the form of a question to actually find out if what you're perceiving, what your subjective observation or judgment is, is has any accuracy to it. All you have to do is ask. And we don't do this. We're like almost, it seems we're almost hardwired against where I have to really fight the tendency. And it's really true because it's especially true via remote because mm -hmm. it's so easy. We're missing so much context. We're making up stories about mm -hmm. what's true for people, about what's true in our team, about what's true about our, you know, our projects. Just ask. It's a simple act. And it's actually a, a way to express vulnerability as a leader. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm sensing something over here. I don't know if it's true, but like, I, I wanted to check it out with you. And if you will do that one thing as a leader, if you will just ask, instead of assume you know the answer and take whatever actions based on your assumption, you'll transform your team, you'll transform your culture, you'll transform your own mental and emotional well-being. It's the simplest thing in the world. It's not easy, but that's where... Uh, where the opportunity is, especially uh, remote. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the third thing that I would say, to, if we can just sort of make it a package of three, you've got to make meetings not about projects and tasks. Some of them, you've got to make them about people. You, you know, mm -hmm. I was talking with a, a senior leader in an organization yesterday, and in tech, happened to be in tech. And he, you know, this this guy's a VP. He's a you know, he's a toughest nails sales. You know, like knows his stuff. And he said, you know, my problem with COVID is, you know, we never get to talk about me anymore. And this is not a guy you would expect, but he's like, there's never any time to talk about me and my development. It's always about projects and time. And I get it. And we're busy and all that, but I'm, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And, and, and there's a, there's an exhaustion that people are feeling right now, which is understandable and reasonable from a lot of perspectives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's a way that you can solve very practically as a manager is make space for that and talk with your team and ask them mm. questions. Mm. Do you not, do you not think the, thank you for that. So sort, you know, reduce the meetings, uh, ask why you should have the meetings, ask questions, be curious. And then of course, meet people, not just to 
manage projects and progress projects have the human conversation. Uh, the third one in particular is is very insightful. The first two, of course, are, are, they almost sound obvious now, uh, mm -hmm. but it's funny, 25 years later, we still don't do the, those things. Yeah. You know, it's bizarre. Yeah. Um, but the third one is a really important one, given the virtual world we live in, because I think uh, you know, a lot of us are overcompensating, aren't we, with these Zoom yeah. meetings? It's like, yeah. oh, I'm not physically there. Better do another Zoom meeting. Better do another one. It's almost, I, I spoke to one leader in a very big company. He was, he almost saw this as a badge of honor. It was like, I am, it almost felt like I am so, I'm so like in it, uh, 16 hours, like Zoom. It's all happening. <laughs> it's all happening. I was like, what? Yeah. Are you nuts? Yeah. Like, what yeah. is wrong with you, man? So, yeah. Um, but I have, can I ask you one more question about confidence? Because when you talk about cutting the meetings out, asking great questions, meeting people on the basis of, you know, inspiration and, and getting them going, there's this piece around confidence that is very important, which is, you know, assume I'm not the leader and I've got a team. If I want my team to empower me to be a better leader, because I just can't know everything all the time, you know, and that's right. the problem with old school leadership where I'm the messiah and I see, you know, I'm supposed to have all the answers, but I don't, of course. I need my team to step up. Now, in order for my team to execute on these three things, I need them to be in a learning kind of environment where they're mm -hmm. constantly learning, not just from me, from each other and outside and outside. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll give you a good example of that because you, you'll definitely be able to add value to this because of your background. Um, and then that's the one piece, which is about learning from outside. The other piece is um, this thing about HR. Like, I, I, I really hate that. I hate that terminology. I mean, I respectfully yeah. human call it because yeah, yeah. just to piss people off because it shouldn't be called human human resources i mean it's like the worst thing you could ever call someone who's looking yeah. after human beings it's yes. like a machine label them right yeah. so <laughs> before we answer that question which is you probably have an idea of what they should be called my, going back to my first point when i was um when i was in my corporate one of the things i did always and i just was really fortunate i always went to external events smb events you know, believe it or not, and I was in this big corporate and this big job, and I ended up going ended up going for these events where you know whether it was like a motivational talk or a Tony Robbins or it was you know Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I found time to go there, and you'd be surprised. I learned so much from entrepreneurs that I brought back into my corporate, which was a big part of my success in the corporate because they were like, oh wow, like how do you know these things? And have you been to Harvard? I was, I was like, no. I just went to the local course in a <laughs> local area and yeah. this guy's talking about the secret or whatever. And um, I find that SMBs and entrepreneurs um, are so adaptable because of circumstances. We know this now, all of us, right? Because we're all entrepreneurs ourselves. And there's so much the entrepreneur community can teach the corporate community about adaptability and dealing with chaos and vulnerability and all of those other things. Mm -hmm. How do you instill that in your teachings or in your course or in your program and is it valuable or is it is it like yeah. after no it, it, it's critical and I, and I think the, the really the the solution mm -hmm. the start of the solution is almost always naming the dynamic and so what happens is most cultures not all but most cultures lose that you know, entrepreneurialism that innovation that disruption when they get you know when they get out of that sort of initial growth mode right we do we work with a lot of organizations that are they're going through high growth and they go from you know, 50 people to 200 people to a thousand people over the course of a couple of years. And that's disruptive in a different way. But the, what's, what's often the case is, and it's, it goes to your comment before about how do I, how do I manage my team is to literally set up that conversation with your team to say, Hey, so we're a team there. If let's say you're a leader in a, in a larger company. Hey, so we're a team and we're in this company and we don't have ultimate authority, but I would like us to be a team where that shakes things up a little bit. Right. And I know that there are obstacles to that. And there are no, I know that there are things that feel like that are outside of your control. There are things that are outside my control. Let's be real. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and how do we set our team up to be a little different? What are the conversations that we need to have? How should we orient ourselves and really putting your arms around your team and sort of naming the challenge? Right. Instead of saying, like, hey, you know, let's just go and do it, you start by saying, hey, this is going to be tough. That's a big hill to climb. Like most, or, most, most teams in most organizations fail at being entrepreneurial and being disruptive. And let's see if we can do it differently. Doesn't that sound cool? Doesn't that sound fun? And, and taking that like, hey, we're gonna do it differently and giving yourself permission 
to actually talk about that out loud, talk about the apps obstacles. And then you go through your team. Hey, what did you think of that conversation? What's your version of that? How does that, you know, where do you feel like you get stuck where you feel like, oh, you know, nothing's ever going to change here, you know, because that's just the way it is. Let's talk about that because maybe, spoiler alert, definitely, maybe there's a personal growth opportunity in that for them. Mm-hmm. And that's how you unlock it. That's the big capital you unlock is you name all the challenges. You talk about all the stuff that's real. You're honest with your people. And then you ask them, hey, what does that look like for you? How do you see that world? Maybe you and I can wire up a growth theme for 2021 or for the next 90 days or whatever it is, where you can work on something that's super meaningful to you, where we can at the same time, maybe chip away at some of that BS. Like, -hmm. what does that look like? And engage, not pretending like it's all roses and honey, but being real with people and then connecting their personal growth to a, to a mission that actually matters to the organization, to the human being, and to the team. Now, that's an art. It's an art form. It is. But in my opinion, it is the art form of leadership in the century ahead. And so, therefore, it's not science. And why I say that is because um, for years and years and years, that, and your training company will be very different to others, no doubt, because of the people who are in it. I mean, the people make up the company. But in the old school days, when I was a sales leader as well, I used to bring in companies. It's like the, it's like they everything is templatized, right? right? Don't worry, it's all scientific. You you can do it, and so can you. You can, you can. Everyone can do. It. Everyone's empowered. But in reality, it doesn't it doesn't work because then right. you take right. the manual, you try and deploy the manual, and your execution is flawed. And then you and then you are labeled as a potential micromanager. Yes. Um, and that you would have seen loads of, right? To say, well, how, how do you how do you address that? Can I bring you back to HR? What should it be called? You know, I don't think it should exist. Uh, it should, well, let's say, let's say it this way. The part of it that we're talking about shouldn't be thought of as part of HR, right? Mm. There's, there's an HR operational function or like you could call it humane resources, right? <laughs> uh, would, be, would be a slight <laughs> improvement, um, I, you know, a lot of times there's like a VP in the startup land, you know, we do a lot of work in the Valley and it's like, you know, VP of people or VP of people and culture. That's a little bit less mm-hmm. offensive, mm-hmm. but, but the, but the, the real point is I was talking actually with a, with a, a, not a client of ours, but a potential new client in Sao Paulo in Brazil, lovely guy. And he said, look, I'm mm-hmm. really excited about my, he was new in the role, really, you know, savvy seasoned guy, but he was new in this role. And he said, look, in our company, our partners and leaders, this is a, an ed tech play in Brazil. He's like, we're systems thinkers and we don't think of HR as the place where leadership and management is going to be like, we're responsible for that. Like the partners and leaders should be like, we're responsible. And his, what he said is for not only for the care of our direct reports, but for the care of one another and for the care of ourselves. HR has got nothing to do with it. That's our job. Now, can they bring in external partner? Can they be a good, you know, vetter of external partners and vendors to help us get better at doing that? Sure, that's good. There could be a good gatekeeper to help us in the, you know, in those sustainable skills. Because it's our job. That's our job as the leaders. This is what we should be talking about. Mm. And if you're not as a leadership team, a management team, if you're not spending more than 50% of your time talking about the people, then how are you developing? You're just, you're missing the boat. Right. If you if you know, I I was saying to a leader, you know, yesterday, if you're the source of truth, right, if if like if you ask yourself, like, who's the backstop on your team for like when a decision needs to get made? Well, that's me. That's all that's all the information you need to know that you're off track. If you're the source of truth where like every decision that gets made has to be made through you. That's all of the learning and development. And that's, those are the conversations. Why is that happening? It happens to everybody. It happens to me sometimes. Like it's not a, it's not a problem. It's not a fatal flaw as a human being, but that's what you gotta be talking about. And that's not an HR function. It's, it's way deeper and more nuanced. And the reason why the templates and the standardization doesn't work is because historically what we've been doing and what we're changing, we've been doing, hey, here's the company, here's the goals, here's the objectives. Oh, right. There's those people. Like, how do we, let's, let's bring the people along. Yeah. Forget about like, stop, turn it around. Start with the people. Look at our people. Who, what do we have? What are their strengths? How do we build on those? Where, where do we, where can we develop and trust? It's not that complicated trust. Of course you have your goals and your, your objectives. Of course, of course. 
Start with the people. Start your day thinking about how do I develop the people on my team? Is everyone on your team going to make it? No. Is everyone on your team have infinite? It's no. This is not a you know, rosy view of the universe that everybody can be everything. Forget that. Like, no. Mm-hmm. But start with the people that you've got. Work, double down on working with them and watch what happens. Because what you'll happen is projects will go faster. People will engage more deeply. Culture will change. And you'll get to those business outcomes by switching the sequence. Not company first and then saying, oh, we're, well, we're a people first company. BS, you're not a people mm-hmm. first company unless you're, unless you're developing the people in your business first and trusting in the outcome. That's what it means to be a people first company. Mm-hmm. It's not a marketing mm-hmm. slogan. That's, you know, that's just greenwash or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's go there for a moment longer. And so one of the things that you talk about often, I know, is really changing the purpose of a corporation and Please. shifting that. Um, which is exactly to this point here. And so how does that actually happen where there's so much focus on shareholder value? There's so much focus on dividends and profits and you know, all those things that drive corporate behavior, that drive business behavior. And yet we can all feel there's a changing of the guard happening. Like I think mm-hmm. we can all feel that. It's pretty obvious mm-hmm. to all of us. How is this really ever going to change when there's so much incentive and reinforcement to keep things the way they are. There's even legal mandates to hold those things toward shareholder value. How, how do companies really shift this from the inside out? What are you seeing in terms of that changing of the guard? Sure. Uh, well, so let's start by, there's a distinction in terms of the fiduciary responsibility mm-hmm. and so those legal requirements between public and private companies, right? So first order of business, it's easier if you're a private company, right? If, mm-hmm. you don't, if you're not dealing with you know, quarterly reporting and all of that. Uh, that being said, you know, probably many of your listeners saw, uh, and this was shocking to our industry, the CEO roundtable, which includes people like, you know, Jamie Dimon of Chase, I think it was like in early 2019, where they basically came up with a statement. Now, it was just a statement, but it was a statement that these people had never uttered before, which is to say, hey, we got it wrong. It's not only about shareholder value. There are other important stakeholders, and the first most important are the employees, Right. And we've got to care for our people. And so exactly as you said, not only can we feel it changing, we can see it changing mm-hmm. at levels that you wouldn't. Now, that's not change. That, I mean, you could say that's changed because they've never said it before. Mm-hmm. But that's not. Is Jamie Dimon at Chase really doing this? I don't know. I'm not going to make a judgment mm-hmm. one way or the other. But so now let's get into your question. Right. In terms of, well, how does that actually change? To me, it starts like all change processes. So there's a famous uh, teacher in the psychosomatic world, uh, Moshe Feldenkrais. Anyone ever heard of the Feldenkrais method? He said, you can't put down something if you don't know you're holding it, Mm. right? And that's Mm. the the first thing as an organization, you got to open the door and you have to say to people, hey, you know what? And I've I've seen leaders do this. I've coached leaders through this to say, hey, everybody, you know, the way we've been operating, we are are hell bent. All we talk about is production. All we talk about are the numbers. All we talk about the metrics. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I don't know exactly how we're going to solve it, but I realize that it's a problem. I realize that there's a way we're holding our business where we, where the, all, the, all the momentum, all the gravity goes towards the numbers and the metrics and the financial performance. And we can't forget about that, but we got to mm-hmm. find a new way. And then to our point before, then you turn around. If you open the door as a CEO, and this is where a lot of CEOs make, they think, well, if I open the door, then I have to have all the answers. No. All you have to do is open the door and ask the question. Mm-hmm. And then you can lean on your peers and your colleagues and your team and say, hey, how do we do this differently? I'm mm-hmm. open. I'm all ears. Like, how can we? I can't give up the goals. I'm the CEO. I'm responsible for the outcomes. Can't give up on that. Help me help this organization. How can we do it differently? And then it's so much fun, right? Then all the energy comes back in the room. If we'll just start by acknowledging that it is a problem, mm-hmm. now we can start to design the solution. And this is what, this is the, 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 the root cause, you know, that's what I wrote about in the book is leaders, we think, because our education tells us this, our bosses tell us this, our parents reinforce this, sports, the world reinforces that our job as to be talented means to solve problems and to fix things. Mm. And when it comes to leading and managing in the modern world, it's, that's your biggest liability. Your liability is thinking that your job is to fix things and solve problems. Mm. It's not. Your job is to ask questions and to create space for those solutions to emerge. That's your job. And it's and it's a, so much more fun and so much more rewarding than the old job, but it is a shift. Mm. 
right? Mm -hmm. And we could get into the psychology because it's a, it is a, it is a deep, it's an ex almost existential shift for a leader because mm -hmm. it, 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 we, we have to change who we think we are and what, and how we think we add value in the world. It kind of reminds me of a situation where you have a, um, a picture of this, you have a guru of sorts, whatever that means in your mind, a guru sitting there like a sage. And when you have the guru's disciples, the, they, they're asking the guru questions. So mm -hmm. what happens when I'm not, what, why do I think this way, guru? The guru says, well, it's because of these reasons, son. And then what about this? And what will happen to me when I die? Does the soul exist? And all those things. And it, it's interesting that uh, we, we know how to do that, whether it's through religion or through the relationship with God or a, a more superior being, or even with, as I'm a musician, my teacher or my teachers who've taught me how to be a great musician and perform my art and, and so on, you sort of look up to them because they've got wisdom, uh, they've got mm -hmm. experience. And I, what's interesting is that over time, leaders, I don't know why, I mean, you know, you know better, but leaders have lost that respect. Um, mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean the sage can't ask questions, reverse questions, say, why do you feel that way? You know, mm -hmm. but I think we've totally lost, which was there years and years and years ago. We've totally mm -hmm. eroded that with the capital structures and the, the organizational models of the business. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm starting to realize that I, I hate to blame anyone, but the old school management gurus, and I won't name them because I do respect all of them, but for a certain portion of the last, what, 15, 20 years, maybe longer, we were living off that model of XYZ from Harvard says this, ABC from something talked about from good to great. And they, they were great in their own regard, but actually mm -hmm. they weren't thinking through evolution of the corporation. Right. And as a result, we're in this pickle mm -hmm. now where, of course, your business has tripled because, and I'm sure it will quadruple because people actually don't know how to solve this problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if I could, uh, there's a, there's a, I just want to kind of cut in on one thing you said. Because there's yeah. an additional thing we haven't talked about that makes it that's part of that recipe, and I think you've probably talked about it on this show, is the slicing and dicing of our attention mm -hmm. through social media, through mm -hmm. apps, through technology. Mm -hmm. It it puts us, it's more likely than not to put us in that uh, um, dopamine seeking mode where we yeah. go for the quick hit, mm -hmm. where we go for the quick solution. So it's it's I'm not I'm I'm agreeing with you that that is that is a that's a longer, longer term trend, but there's an another, uh, there's another wrench in the works here, right? Is because you got to work against modern technology's tendency to divide and conquer your mm -hmm. attention. Mm -hmm. uh, may, and, and what we're talking about is a contemplative practice of leadership, right? And, and we're not so good at contemplative practices uh, in our modern, you know, sort of attention split mind it it may be the balm in the balm for what yeah. ails us uh but uh it is uh, it might also be the balm uh but it's uh it's it's a shift and there there are many challenges which is why you see exploding popularity of you know meditation apps and all those other kinds because we intuitively know this mm. right? like oh, i'm not functioning like just ask yourself the number of times that your attention was split or diverted just in the last you know 40 minutes when we were talking like that's mm. not an accident mm -hmm. that's engineered right? yeah 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 bang on you're, you're bang on uh one, one more thing about <clears throat> what what are you, what are your thoughts on this concept of leadership without authority mm. uh, I, I know you wrote that book called good authority so i thought i'd ask you this question yeah so leadership without authority you know in my mind is essentially saying even if you don't have the job title you have a responsibility to make a real impact be free with your questions, be free with your ideas, mm. say what you're thinking. And as a result, you'll do better. Now, that sounds great conceptually, but of course, if you're in the wrong culture, even if it's the micro culture in a team, it could be counterproductive. You may not get the promotion. You may not get the next job. You may not get the money to do the course third party course or whatever it may be you may not get the coaching from people like you because you're like mm. yeah but not you're not really he's not very coachable you know um so tell us a little bit about leadership without authority and maybe is there, is there a link between being coachable and not being coachable i hear that term a lot like he's super coachable like what does that right. mean uh, yeah so i think yeah. yeah there's there are there are a few different layers to this part of the conversation but i think where i want to start is Ultimately, your ability to behave in the way that honors your values 
inside of a structure where you don't have authority often comes down to your personal freedom. And what I mean by that is if you can't afford, if you don't save money, if you don't manage your finances, if you don't, if you're not, if you don't do the, do the basic housekeeping and I've, and I fell into this trap horribly. I was in a terribly abusive relationship with a boss of mine, but I didn't have any money. This is earlier on in my career. I didn't have any money. I hadn't been working on my network. I didn't have a plan. I didn't, I, you know, I hadn't done the self-work. Mm. And so I was, I was stuck. I wasn't a victim. I, I took the job and I, I could have walked away and, and, you know, but I didn't, I didn't have the personal freedom mm. to actually bump up against some of those challenges. And that made it more difficult. So mm. it's already a big ask inside of a corporate structure where you don't have authority, or let's say you have less mm. authority to ask people to go against the tendency. I'm just going to put my head down. I'm not going to rock the boat because I can't afford you, there's some work to do on your own first or, or in mm -hmm. parallel, like get your finances in order. Like, because by the way, not only might you get fired someday for good reasons or, or, or not good reasons, but, you know, the company may shift. There's a lot of, you mm -hmm. know, have nothing to do with you. you there's a lot right. of things that are not within your control. Mm -hmm. So first order business, like take, get your own house in order personally. Mm -hmm. As someone who has made that mistake earlier on in your career, get your own house in order so that you're, you got some freedom <clears throat> of movement. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, so, so if, you've, if you've done some of that, here's what I want to say. There are, these, there are these data points out there that seven out of 10 people in the workforce are disengaged. Seven out of 10. Mm -hmm. That number hasn't moved for 40 years. Gallup runs this survey every year. It doesn't move. Yeah. So seven out of 10. Th four out of those 10 are sort of neutral, like, eh, well, you know, okay, I do my job. Three out of those 10 are actively undermining the success of the team or organization. Seven out of 10. Now... I'm going to say something that might sound provocative, but like, look, if you are not using your voice, if you are not engaging with the things that you see wrong, you are one of those seven people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that okay with you? Is that mm -hmm. the life you want to live? Do you want to be one of the seven of 10 people that are neutral? Or I don't think you do. I don't think you listen to straight talk live because you want to be one of those seven people. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. What change are you going to make? When are you going to make it? Be smart. Talk to the people you trust, but, and, and what I would say to you, and this is the thing that leaders don't, people, leaders, they don't do enough. They bail. They say, oh, this situation's toxic. These leadership is dysfunctional. They don't, da, 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 da. And what do they do? They quit. Mm -hmm. That's bullshit. Lean mm -hmm. in. Go, mm -hmm. hey, this situation isn't working. And I see, especially, this is what I love about millennials. Uh, there's, I don't like the, I don't like grouping them as millennials, but I love this because I see it all the time. Is they walk into rooms and they go, I don't like this. <laughs> and and my generation, I'm 48. We we didn't learn how to do that. They, I don't like this. I don't like the way the company's operating. I don't think this is in alignment with our values. Whoa, <laughs> nice. I love that. Right. <laughs> so let's take a little inspiration. Now, not all millennials do that. They're, it's it's not a fair. None of those statements are fair. Those generalizations. But it, but there is some. There's some truth to it. We have something to learn. You know, if you're you know if you're over 33 or whatever it is to be not a millennial. Like if you see a situation that you don't like, say something. Find a respectful way if you can, but say something. Mm -hmm. Don't be the person who disengages. Everybody loses. And most importantly, for our conversation, we want to be straight talk. You know mm -hmm. the person who's losing? You. Mm -hmm. It's your life. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And that to me, that is really how the changing of the guard happens. It has to happen on an individual level with everyone <clears throat> leaning into their leading edge that way and having those conversations that are challenging, difficult, no matter where you sit on the org chart, that's how change is going to happen anywhere, uh, even though there's a lot of other factors in place. Um, I just want to remind our audience, this is a great time to ask your questions, so please send those in. We already have a couple coming in, Jonathan, and one uh, a theme that I want to ask you about is more about resistance, resistance mm -hmm. to people development, resistance to the old guard of doing things. So uh, Linda on the call asks, what gets in the way of leaders trusting that developing people will truly bring out the results? Uh, I think there's not enough discovery, right? I think a lot of a lot of program, a lot of people who are you know sort of in my world, they come in with a one size fits all solution, mm -hmm. and it doesn't. They don't cross the threshold of what I would call relevance. So, in the leader's mind, uh, you know. This is something that, that we do at Refound, you know, free advice if you're in the, you know, consult or if you're internal, right? And you're like, you have to ask some more provocative questions to understand what you got to meet that leader where they are. Hey, so what matters to you? Mm -hmm. And, you know, talk, talk to me about the outcomes that you're focused about. 
and ask them, say like, hey, you know, obviously, you know me, like I'm, I'm really keen on people development. And I, I can really see that that's an important, but, but, but I got to, I got to get there with you. And I know that I'm not there yet. Do you, and if you ask, here's the, the surprising thing. If you actually ask, can you see a connection between the outcome that you care about and people development rather than insist that it's there? If mm -hmm. you ask mm -hmm. them, they will tell you, mm -hmm. I promise you, they already know nobody has asked them. Mm -hmm. Nobody has actually gone point. over to their side of the table and said, Hey, this can feel ambiguous. This can feel mm -hmm. uncertain. I care about the people development and the culture or whatever. It's, I'm really passionate about that. You, you're really, you know, focused on this outcome. Can we talk about how they might be connected? Mm -hmm. Ask. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you they know. And the, in, the, in, the, in the corners of their mind, and I don't care how big the company is. I don't care if it's a, you know, fang company or, you know, like we've seen them all. If you ask and you ask in a, in a, in a graceful way, in a respectful way, they'll be like, you know what? It's, it's everything. I know. I, have, I just don't know how to do it. And what the what you're what the resistance you're seeing? Mm -hmm. It's just insecurity. Mm -hmm. It's just their insecurity because they don't go back to where they don't have the answer, and they don't have the solution. So it's uncomfortable to open the door. You got to make mm -hmm. it safe for them mm -hmm. to open the door. The all the resistance is is you're pushing on some insecurity that I have or some lack of confidence I have. So all about your orientation's got to come from that perspective. Mm -hmm. That's what you got to solve for. That's a really good point because um, a lot of times I'm sure you meet characters like that all the time who. I, and I've heard this quote myself with several companies I've worked with around, well, if it's not tied to an OKR or a KPI directly, it does not exist. Mm -hmm. So why are we even talking about people development or this thing over here? It's not one of our five KPIs or the things mm -hmm. that we're tracking as an objective. And so what you're saying right there really speaks to the heart of that, that they're not connecting the dots. And right. so even asking the question actually puts it on them to help do the work versus mm -hmm. you have to be in a sales position trying to do that work. Because that's right. where I think a lot of consultants get into a trap where they're trying to convince someone of a different belief structure. And then you get into this kind of mashing uh, politics, if you will, or point of view. And it's really hard to see how do we create the space to elicit that conversation, get them to start thinking about it and connecting the dots themselves. Have you yeah, found that to say, be the best technique? Yeah, yeah. And I would say if you're a CEO, you, you, here's, what, here's the way you got to approach it. You have to, you have to think about the people leadership part of it as like, you're not going to get to a one-to-one, -one, this equals that mm -hmm. you're, but you are, you, you are, and you should give credit, whether it's to the, if, if the numbers are going up and the people who are responsible for culture and people development leadership, you've got to give them some of the credit. Yeah. How, how, and if, and if the numbers are going down, you got to give them some of the blame. That's mm -hmm. only fair, right? Mm -hmm. And if it's an internal resource that's you know helping you with that stuff, like you got to say, hey, you know what? I had you know I had a, a one of our clients, you know, there was a whole presentation of kind of looking back at the year, and they said, look, our our attrition, which was a problem, went from this number down to this number over the last eighteen months. Our financial break-even point went from this number down to this number. It's we're twenty percent better than what it was, and our requests for like fire drills in terms of headcount or whatever went from, you know, five a month to zero a month. Now, did the work that Refound did for that, or do we get all the credit? Absolutely not. That would be crazy. But should we get some of the credit? You bet. Right now, if the numbers were going the opposite way, should we get some of the responsibility? Should they fire our asses? Yeah, they should. If the numbers are going the wrong way, and we're saying, hey, we're going to help you with some of that stuff. Well, we bear some of the responsibility. Something about our approach mm -hmm. isn't working. So you, you, you will rarely get, now there are some places where you'll get one-to-one. -one. Like for example, a key leader who doesn't quit because you help them through an awkward moment. You have, like that is an expensive proposition. You know, the numbers, you know, a, a senior leader in an organization, the cost, if people don't know this, it's, they do, you know, we're talking about HBR. I don't know if it was HBR or some, some, one of the big institutes. It takes two years and two X their salary. So if they were making 200 grand, it costs you $400,000 in two years to replace that person. So if you save one, how much is that worth to you, right? So you could, there are some things where you can make a one-to-one, -one, you know, cause and effect to investing in the people. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's more ambiguous. You got to live with, it's like, you know, it's like raising a family. Like, how do you know your kids are doing well? Like, do you have a metric, right? Mm -hmm. It's not one-to-one, -one, right? But you got to feel it out. You, you know, we're human beings. We're capable of this. We mm -hmm. could do this. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, I want to ask you a question from Rahul. He first asks, what do you eat for breakfast, Jonathan? <laughs> Clearly, it has helped with some great nuggets of wisdom. 
<laughs> Thanks, Rahul. <laughs> uh, so uh, should I answer the first one first? Oh, I haven't even asked you the second one, the okay, real question. Okay. Um, if you want to give a quick little breakfast recap. Uh, <laughs> other, otherwise, his, his real question is, what is your advice on dealing with a bully at work? Hmm. Uh, so I'll just say for, for you know, to, not to be on the bandwagon, but on the breakfast side of it, because I, you know, uh, I generally don't eat breakfast. I'll, I have coffee. Uh, I, I was struggling with my weight, especially, you know, in, in early pandemic. And so I tried the intermittent fasting thing and it really helped me. I was able to lose about 15 pounds. So I don't I don't eat until about 10. So in about 10 minutes when we're done here, I'm going to eat something. Straight Talk uh, Live, Rahul, take note. Straight Talk yeah, Live. There you go. Okay. Yeah, so I, I eat between 10 and 6 or 10 and 7. <laughs> works for me. I know it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me because otherwise I graze. I'm like a cow. I'll eat all day long. <laughs> um, so my advice to you is in terms of the bully, if, uh, I, 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 have, I have some follow-up questions as I need to understand a little bit more about the dynamic and what is the, like, what authority do you have? If any, is, it, is this person a peer? Uh, is it somebody who's on your team? Because that's going to change uh, the answer. But maybe we can quickly say, like, if it's your direct report, that's kind of the easiest. You can say, hey, you know, you can, you got to have that conversation. You know, we have a tool called the accountability dial. How do you start that conversation by making a mention? Hey, there's, there's some behavior that I'm seeing that's, that's problematic. Are you seeing it? Sometimes people don't know that their behavior, you know, get to start positive intent. And then, you know, kind of, you go, you'll go through a cycle. So there's, you know, we'll put something maybe in the show notes to the accountability dial. We've got some free resources and some, some paid stuff on there too. Um, so if it's a direct report, kind of the easiest. If it's a peer, right? Uh, then there's a, there's a conversation, right? And, and that's, you know, unfortunately, it often falls to the person who's not the bully to raise the topic mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. the bully. Right. Life sucks sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes that's uh, how it goes. And, you know, to be able to say, hey, look, you know, I, I want us to have an open dialogue. You know, don't, you don't start by saying, hey, you're a bully and you need to cut it out. That's not going to mm -hmm. go anywhere. Mm -hmm. You got to say, hey, I want us to have, uh, be able to have dialogue. We're peers in this organization. And the way that we're uh, talking to with each other uh, isn't working for me. Can we sit down and talk about that? Mm. Mm -hmm. Right now, if they say yes, okay. Now you have a next conversation. If they say no, now you have another conversation. And then that conversation, you may have to escalate it. Right? Mm -hmm. You may have to say, "Hey, I, I." You may have to go to someone else. Now, sometimes there's another, there's like a third party that's not your boss or not the CEO that that ought, that has more social capital. And you can say, "Look, I'm trying to talk to Miguel and." You know, I, I offered to have a sit down and he won't sit down and talk with me. But, you know, his behavior is having an impact on my team. It's having mm -hmm. an impact on me. You know, do you have a suggestion for how uh, and, you know, how we do this? Um, I'm forgetting his name. Maybe one of you guys remember uh, uh, he was he's connected to LinkedIn. Fred, something or other. He's got a really great piece on uh, uh, avoiding unilateral escalation. Mm -hmm. um, a really good piece for if you're a manager, how to manage like someone coming to you and saying, oh, this person's being a jerk. And like, you know, how do you manage that? Uh, there's a really great uh, kind of white paper on that somewhere on the internet. I'll try to find it and send it to you guys. Um, but, you know, it's really, you, know, you got to understand what's the nature of the dynamic first, you know, how much, how much power or, you know, do you have, if any, what do, what, you know, you may need to protect yourself. That's real. Mm -hmm. Like what protection do you need? Uh, if, if any, right. And sometimes that's even a conversation you might have to go to your boss, right? Maybe you have a mutual boss, right? Mm -hmm. You might have to go to them and say, look, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really struggling in my relationship with this person. I don't, I don't like some of their behavior and I, and I want to be able to confront it, but I'm afraid of the blowback. Right. Mm -hmm. And raise that with your manager and read mm -hmm. them in and say, like, get them to the place where they go, Hey, you know what? I've heard that from other people. I really appreciate you having that conversation with them. I got your back. Sometimes that, sometimes that can be the, mm -hmm. you know, the answer. So a little bit about the nuance. Um, I don't know what the, you know, the channels are, but I'd, I'd be happy to help if there's a, you know, some private context you want to share with Rick and off mm -hmm. and they can forward it on to me. I'll, I'll see if I can help that way. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, another question here is around uh, from Linda again is around um, who are some of the companies that you're seeing that are, um, seeing the results with that are uh, really leading in this new way of developing people. Are mm -hmm. there some cutting edge companies that you're impressed by that you're like, wow, okay. Yeah. That's where we're going. Yeah. So, so let me say this and, and uh, uh, I'll start with, I'll, I'll start by saying, I don't believe what anybody says about their culture, hmm. anybody. Hmm. So if, if I haven't seen it, if I haven't been there, ideally on site, if I haven't talked to people, I don't, 
I just don't believe them because mm -hmm. companies don't tell the truth about their culture. They don't talk, they don't, they don't reveal the baggage publicly for understandable mm -hmm. reasons. So that being said, I don't have exposure to every company, but some of the companies that I do have exposure to, uh, one of those is Panasonic, uh, who's one of our biggest clients. Uh, and we do a lot of work for them around their EV battery tech uh, and they're, you know, Tesla's biggest partner um, and they make batteries for, and they, they are doing the right things mm -hmm. and they're investing and they, you know, they're, they're, they, if you're in Reno, they're, they're hiring. Um, yeah, they're, you know, other places as well that are, that are, that are popping up. Uh, but uh, Panasonic is a culture, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, they they had an amazing founder back in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, Matsuhisa, who uh, talked about, you know, developing people and connecting individual uh, individuals to company missions back in the 30s. Mm. Uh, so really they did, you know, Harvard did some, you know, really great case studies on him. Um, so that, that culture, they have a culture of, uh, you know, strong values and that carries through to today. So that's, I would say of the, of the big companies that we work with, that's an example. Um, uh, you know, we're working with some other companies like, you know, ZipRecruiter uh, that is, you know, they're, they're asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. We're earlier in our engagement, but they're asking themselves the right questions and they're focused on, you know, Hey, how do we, how do we do this the right way? Uh, so there, you know, there's a handful of companies out there, but, um, you know, if you, if you haven't seen, right, you know, there's a, you know, on a, and you're just a sh shout out to a small company. Uh, one of our clients is Dagger Agency in Atlanta, the fastest growing agency in the Southeast or uh, I think faster, second fastest. I don't want to mis misrepresent. Uh, they're a small business doing the right things, asking themselves the right questions, trying to lead in the right way. Uh, there's a lot of companies out there that are doing this. Um, and, um, but, but I, but I won't, I'm not going to put my name on a company that I don't know for, because, uh, I've, I've seen too much. That's good. Um, appreciate those personal anecdotal stories too. And, uh, we got a new question from Leon who's on the call. And so Leon asks earlier, you were talking about that manager who wants to develop a disruptive startup like team. How can that more visionary manager take those risks when the C-suite is not aligned and maybe maybe they're only focused on a stock price or something like that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think well, you know a lot of things that we either, there's some phrases out there that are that are unfortunate but are true. One like stakeholder management, right? It doesn't sound very <laughs> exciting, uh, but you got to go have some conversations, right? Like you can't like I was talking with an exec at uh, uh, one of the big uh, tech companies, and uh, he, you know he said to me, he said, "Look, you know I, I don't know what to do. I have this guy's you know he runs a team." And they came to me and they said, uh, well, we don't want to work. We have this passion project that we really care about. We don't want to work on the platform. And he was like, you don't want to work on the platform? You mean like our entire business? Like, what do you, what do you mean, right? Like, that's, that's, that's what we do, right? And so you got to manage your stakeholders. You got to go talk to them and say, hey, we're really passionate about this thing over here. It's not our core platform yet, but we think it could be. Or we think, you know, so you've got to do some work if you if you don't have that authority, which most people don't, to redirect the organization or a major initiative. You've got to go talk to people, mm -hmm. and, you, and if you if you say, well, you know, I have big ideas, but nobody lets me do my, let me do my thing. I'm sorry, that's on you. Like if you don't if you don't mm -hmm. engage with your stakeholders, if you don't have those conversations, like we were talking about before with the leader who has resistance to people mm -hmm. development. Like if you don't talk to the people who have resistance to your ideas and understand what their resistance is, mm -hmm. I promise you they would love nothing more than to feel your passion and to feel your desire mm -hmm. to shake things up and innovate. I know of zero companies on planet Earth who don't want more innovation and disruption inside their organizations, especially the bigger they get. It's the stuff mm -hmm. that kind of dies. I want that as mm -hmm. your EVP or your COO or whatever, like your CTO. I want that. Yeah. But you got to come talk to me about it. You got to understand the world from my perspective first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then then let's have a conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for people like you. Yep. But if you're just going to try, if you're just going to knock mm -hmm. things over against my objectives without asking me some questions, we're going to have a problem. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, unfortunately, we need to be wrapping up here in this last minute. Um, but we, we could be talking about this for another few hours. Yeah. Appreciate your passion and your experiences that you're sharing today. Um, so where can people find out more about you and your work? Sure. Uh, so our site is at refound.com, uh, R-E-F, like Frank, O-U-N-D.com. Uh, you can check out our video course at academy.refound.com, which you'll see from the site. Uh, and then the book is available everywhere. Obviously, Amazon, you know, uh, it's called Good Authority, 
How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For. Uh, and if you like audiobooks, uh, I'm very proud of our audiobook. We got a lot of good feedback on that. I, I read it myself. I had to try out. That's another story. Uh, but I got the gig to read my own book. And uh, so if you're an audiobook person, I highly recommend it. Fantastic. So please use those resources if you want to go deeper into this kind of material around people development for yourself and your teams. Jonathan, thank you so much for being part of our Straight Talk Live tribe. Great to have you on board today. Pleasure. Happy to be happy to be part of the community and uh, let me know how I can help. Thank you so much. And just really quickly, um, this is our uh, last um, plug for Maverick Leaders program. We just launched this on Wednesday, yesterday. So this is once again a free uh, online learning program where we're get, gathering all of the best knowledge and um, wisdom holders like Jonathan and others who've been on our show and actually offering free content for those of you who are wanting to de develop your own Maverick mindset as the le leader that you are, whether you're a new leader, current leader, future leader. Um, this is what we're going to be getting into. So just go to straighttalk.live forward slash MLP, and you'll see the free signups and landing page so that you can get this information into your inboxes. And lastly, next week, we are going to be going live with Lisa Wardlow, who's the uh, Chief Strategic Financial Officer at Farmers Insurance, on how do you actually find the courage to be an outlier in the corporate world? With all the pressures of conforming, how do you actually be that renegade leader uh, standing for the right causes that you're passionate about? So without further ado, Af, thank you again for a fantastic show. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. And uh, over and out, go out there and lead your people. And remember, you're a people too. Talk to you later. Be well. Be well.